if I am to choose a middle name, perhaps research happened to be one that may come up. In research, we start with question, and therefore I'm going to start today with question. What makes Jesus tick? What makes Jesus tick? And to answer that, I thought the question will have to be extended further to what made him tick during his life ministry on earth. Four stories came to mind, and I'm careful in selecting these four stories. Two of the four are women, and two are men. Two are Gentiles, and two are Jews. And the first of this story is an insistent Canaanite woman, the story of whom we found in Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7. Mark called her from Syrophoenicia. She came begging Jesus to heal her daughter from demon possession. But Jesus refused and said, well, I am only sent to the lordship of Israel. You know, sometimes Jesus appeared to be a bit ethnocentric. But she insists. And finally, Jesus said to her, Go, great is your faith, be it done as you wish. Great is your faith. The second story is a story of a synagogue leader by the name of Jairus, who came to Jesus and begged him to heal his daughter who was at the point of dying. And as they were talking, and then Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your home. And, and then they were walking towards his home, it seems. And then the third story inserted here, the story of a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 long years. And she came saying to herself, if I only touch even his garments, I will be made well. Jesus was being touched. There were, I mean, people, the crowd was following him. And then as he touched, Jesus said to, to the crowd, who touched me? And the, the disciples said, well, everyone is touching you. No, someone touched me. And I felt it. And then the woman came forth with fear and trembling saying, I'm the one, and then telling the story. She felt the healings as he touched Jesus. And the second story continues. Afterwards, they went on, but those from Jairus' house came and told Jesus and Jairus, don't bother the master, the teacher now. Your daughter is, has, is dead. Jesus went on, in fact, telling the crowd that she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they were laughing at him. We know she's dead. 
Well, to make the story so, Jesus raised the little girl and asked the family to give her something to eat. The fourth story is the story that we read today. The story of a centurion whose name we do not know and who came and begged Jesus, please heal my servant who is being paralyzed. Then Jesus said, well, okay, I'll come. I'll come to your home, as we have heard of it. But he said, no, no, no. I'm not worthy. My house is not good enough. It's not worthy to receive you as a guest. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus exclaimed here. Jesus exclaimed here. I have not seen a faith like this, even in Israel. And therefore he said, okay, let it be done for you. For you. And the servant was healed. What does these four stories have in common? What makes Jesus tick is faith. It's a story of faith in all of them. It's because of their faith, especially for the centurion, a Gentile, and a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile. It was something beyond their own religion. But they have faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith make Jesus take. Today, this is what we continue to have. Be it a Gentile or a Jew, a man or a woman, a religious leader like Jairus, or a socially and religiously isolated like the hemorrhaging woman. It is faith that connects Jesus to them. Perhaps we can say that these four individuals represent four corners of life. Social life, cultural life, rich, poor, culturally unaccepted versus culturally leading. The dominant culture, the marginalized culture. For everyone, it's faith. Freedom and availability of options are, we often say, for the rich. I often say this because I grew up poor, and I know in life what is, what does it mean not to have options. But before us, God endowed us with freedom to choose, to choose between the, the path of faith, Faith in God, faith in the good God, faith in the goodness of God, faith in the goodness of God's way versus a humanistic, secularist way that is on us today. By saying Charleston's story, we all know the story now. 
last week I was, as I was looking through my Facebook, I saw two posting contrast, contrasting stories of Charleston. One of them said, racial attack, modern day lynching. The web, I mean, the, the site came from BBC website, posted by one of the friends. And then the other one said, the power of forgiveness in Charleston. This was a link to Washington Post opinion section. What do we choose to define Charleston? Is it about racism or is it about forgiveness? That the victims displayed so, so powerfully. What do we choose to define our lives? The options are open for us. Faith, faith in God is the option given to us, one of the options. Like the four individuals we look at, we each have our particularities, let's say our corners. Challenges of life we may face, our cultural particularities, our social particularities, our personal particularities. We all have our own. Sometime we could not move out of our particularities if we are, if we allow those particularities to suppress us. To the point that one who sees only racism in the Charleston story could not move beyond that. In our life, that, those are the options always open to us. The Catholicity of faith is what makes Christianity universal. From east or west, they will come. They will lead with Abraham and Isaac, as today we will be, in a way, foretesting such a feast, the kingdom feast, on the table today. Someone from the east will be celebrating it. Whatever our background, cultural, whatever realities we face, whatever mindset we bring in here, we are at one in our faith at the table when we break one bread, one body. And therefore, that's our oneness. Faith is where we begin. Particularities, realities, challenges that we face can easily define us to the extent that the power of faith, the Catholicity of grace may not be able to work if we allow those to suppress us, to oppress us. Our cultural, personal, and social particularities can either become assets or impediments for our own ministry of faith. If you let your realities and challenges of lives dominate your life to the extent that the power of forgiveness 
the Catholicity of faith, the supremacy of grace are hindered, then you are at risk. But if you can utilize your life's realities, your cultural particularities, and even your personal challenges as tools to empower your faith and ministry, you will walk in reliance in the power of God. And your ministry will be a ministry in the power of the Spirit.